Sin acknowledges and pays respect to the owners of the land the House of Sin and Studio stand on, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations. Sin also acknowledges and pays respect to the elders and traditional owners of the lands our content reaches, as well as the radio stations we broadcast from across the country. Welcome to An Hour in the Life with Charlie Bell on Sin Nation. Today I'm speaking with Brian Lau. He is an LGBTI equality advocate. On the 16th of November 2017, Brian was on the front page of The Australian for his work on marriage equality. In addition to his decades-long campaign towards LGBTI equality, he's an advocate for environmental rights, just started watching The Handmaid's Tale, and has tickets to this year's Splendour in the Grass. Brian, welcome to the show. It's fantastic to have you on board. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you so much for having me here, Charlie. No worries at all. Uh, so what initially drew you to support LGBTI equality? LGBTI equality is so much of my life. Um, I am the G in the acronym. I'm a gay man. And from that, I think I've got a really big responsibility, not only for gay men, but also the rest of the acronym as well. And um, I'm very fortunate to be in a position to campaign and advocate for the community. Great. Uh, Could you give us a quick rundown of the definition of each letter in LGBTI? Sure. So um, lesbian is the L, um, gay for the G, we've got bisexual for the B, um, transgender or transsexual for T, Mm-hmm. And we've got I for intersex. Uh, what activities have you been involved in in your pursuit of uh, to enable LGBTI equality? Sure. Uh, so I've been campaigning for marriage equality since 2008. That's when I went to my first um, marriage equality rally. In that How was old were in, you then? Uh, I was, I believe, in my late teens at the time. Okay. And I've been doing it for a full, like, for more than a decade now. Um, well, actually, just there under. Uh, in parallel to the marching, the door knocking, the phone banking that went with it, the letter writing, um, I also spent time uh, setting up a pride network mm-hmm. uh, in the Victorian Public Service. So uh, prior to 2014, uh, we didn't have a network that helped to improve understanding of LGBTI um, employees. And this was within the your employer? Yes, exactly, yep. within the Victorian Public Service. Yeah. So um, myself and representatives from all of the other major departments and from several agencies and authorities got together and we created a network and within the network we do a range of different activities to help improve understanding. My two favourites um, of these activities so far have been one, organizing one talk to bring light to homelessness mm-hmm. um, and how that affects the LGBTI community specifically. Mm-hmm. And then a recent project of mine is one is another talk where I want to bring a holistic approach to understanding rainbow families. So knowing mm-hmm. where uh, knowing where rainbow families start, what is involved in setting them up, what are the emotional needs that families go through, and then uh, any of the other just real-life lived experiences from that. Is a rainbow family a family with one or more parents from the LGBTI community? Well, I think that rainbow families are quite varied. So, for instance, we have um, 
what we understand is to moms and to dads, we know that there are co-parenting arrangements. There are uh, a multitude of different um, arrangements that make up a rainbow family. But I think ultimately family is about finding a place where you belong. And mm -hmm. so, the so the rainbow community is very welcoming. So uh, on this show, An Hour in the Life, the guest gets to choose the song. Um, first up, you've chosen Independent Woman by Destiny's Child. What does this song mean to you? Sure. So when I was a teenager at the cost of uh, my sexual awakening, mm. um, and there was no mistaking that I would become a gay man, I started listening to this song because I didn't have... Well, it came out at the time when I was... When I was um, in my first year of high school and I couldn't relate to the other guys, I couldn't relate to the heteronormative relationships that were running around mm. and so this song meant a lot to me because it was empowerment that didn't come from a male so then by default it was empowerment that came from a female. Mm. Well here it is, uh, Independent Woman by Destiny's Child, enjoy. And welcome back to An Hour in the Life with Charlie Bell on Sin Nation. Today I'm speaking with Brian Lau, who is an LGBTI equality advocate. So, Brian, what were your childhood years like? Sure. So I migrated from Malaysia as an ethnic Chinese uh, with my family at the uh, when I was about eight months old. Okay. And we uh, lived, um, well, over the course of my time, we lived in Springvale, and then we lived in Glen Waverley. Um, so just different suburbs, which speaks to that migrant social mobility story that I think happens in Australia. Mm. And then parallel to that, um, I, I came out to myself when I was about, I would say, 12. Okay. Weirdly enough, at the same time that um, we got our internet connection at home <laughs> so, so you, there were certain things that you realized that you liked that were on the internet I, I think that the internet was quite revolutionary in terms of giving me the content that i needed to know who i was going to become when you realized that you were attracted to men did you did you know that that this is a very common thing that's there, there are so many parts to that question so the first is like i knew it existed mm -hmm. um to take a step before that, as a child, I was interested in things like tea sets and I was interested in knitting and I, and I loved my dolls. I absolutely mm. adored all of them. Uh, and I think that there were already hushed conversations around, so is Brian gay? And I think as you know, someone under the age of 10, you, know, you don't really know what gay is. Is it good? Is it bad? What does it mean? And all you know, it's, well, he just likes other boys or he's going to be one of those people that's just going to enjoy other men and this was quite a different conversation throughout the 90s but it was the conversation that was being had around me mm. and when I first uh, had that awakening that this was going to be who I was going to be I said yes well if this is me naturally then then I'm doing this naturally and I know that I'm quite fortunate to have that story because not mm. everyone does. So it didn't tear you inside at all? I think that there were pivotal moments in those formative years that felt as if it tore at me. So, for instance, when I learned that that as a gay adult, I couldn't adopt in the future. 
that basically shattered my idea mm. that I could one day have a family. Now we know that things are vastly different, but back then, um, in the 2000s, it was a different story. Mm. And seeing how uh, my uh, classmates were treated because they were these gruff, straight boys that played football and they did everything versus me who just liked to talk and really enjoyed being in the library. Mm. It was a different experience. Do you think your parents knew that you were gay before you did? I don't know whether like they knew or not, but I think ultimately, like, was there a shock to the family or was there a shock within like my parents? Of course there's a shock. There's a mm. shock for every parent because I think that um, everyone has their expectations and sometimes the expectations don't align with reality. And I think that that's for every family. Hmm. Why do families have these expectations? Um, coming from an ethnic Chinese background, we have very strong familial ties, we have very strong family social structures, expectations around what that looks like and I guess you know like that runs in competition to what are the social expectations um, in Australia and I think that as both of them combined you're always going to be up for a bit of conflict but as humans this is what we do and we do it rather well and Mm. we bring to peace where we seize conflict over time. Mm. Were your parents supportive of you coming out? I think it was more of a challenge for them than I had anticipated. I would have loved to have had the family where it was peachy keen from day one. But Mm. as I said, we all came at this from different expectations. And I think that they they needed their time to... To understand how this fit into their like how this fit into their story, and in many ways, I needed time to understand how their lives fit into my story. But we got there in the end. Oh, great! So, moving through to your teenage years, on the whole, were those years happy years? I think that, in a naive way, yes. I think <laughs> that I, I think for a lot of young people, there is a certain amount of naivete, whether that's towards relationships and how you want to be treated by your friends or your expectations of the world. I think in all of that naivete for me, I just kind of carried along and said like, well, this is me. Mm. I came out at the age of 14 and I did, made that decision because on a balance of what was more difficult, going into the closet and hiding and maintaining that lie versus risking the bullying that came with being the only openly gay kid, which Mm. I did do and I did have, it was easier to take the bullying than it was to go into hiding. And it just made me an overall stronger person, but I know that that's not everyone's story. So ultimately, in my naive foolishness, I headstrong came out and that freedom just gave me enough strength to withstand all of the mean things people had to say. Yep. So it was overall a challenging but very happy teenage uh, adolescence. Hmm. Would you encourage any teenager that's in the LGBTI community to come out? I think that there are remote communities, there are religious communities, mm. there are situations where people are living in rather tenuous like housing circumstances, which means that coming out... Um, is not feasible and Mm. I think the first 
thing that every young person has to consider is are you safe do you feel supported do you feel as if you can get the resources you need if things go awry these are rather critical questions and i always encourage people to speak to counselors speak to um lgbti resources such as a switchboard mm-hmm. um or q life and the there are trained counselors that can help you work through these situations but ultimately making sure that you're safe is fundamental to the coming out question right back to your teenage years Mm -hmm. what was your friendship group like what sort of people were they so i grew up in suburban melbourne and i could say that suburban melbourne in the 2000s wasn't overly all inspiring i got lucky one (laughs) i got lucky one day because uh, my school was invited to uh, the McRobb High Social. Mm-hmm. Now, McRobb being this uh, select entry girls' school, um, I think that they just wanted boys to come along, and uh, there was this invitation uh, on a pinboard saying, if you want to come along, write your name, and we'll get you a ticket. And I already had friends who went to McRobb, which is great. So I went along with them, and I created this whole new group of friends, which kind of acted as a great circuit breaker for me, because while I couldn't, uh, I couldn't naturally uh, connect with every single person at my uh, everyday high school, I had a great group of friends, who many of whom I'm still really good friends with today, from that high school group, and that diversity is very important. That diversity just gives you a lot of space to think and be you. Mm. Do you feel that girls were more accepting of being friends with a gay man than boys were? Women are their own complex individual, and you know, women make up yes voters. They make up no voters. Uh, they uh, have like their own opinions, and so like I can't say that they were either easier or harder because on the same side, like I've had some fantastic support. So for instance, you know, like meeting you, Charlie. Um, one night out and being val- and and being asked about my lived experience not only then but even here in this space uh, lets me think that well there are uh, boys who are equally as engaged in the story of gay men as well oh thanks thanks man what are the key reasons why teenagers from the lgbti community are more at risk of mental health issues and suicide very big que- these are very big questions yeah. Charlie <laughs> loaded uh, very big questions um, so I'll take from I'll talk from personal experience I, I think that there are so many challenges to finding your own sense of identity it becomes a bit more challenging when you've got so many other complexities to you that make you different from mm. just uh, that being a heterosexual young person to address these challenges we really did just need to make sure that they're well supported, whether it's through counselling, whether it's through making sure that like our peers are better educated, mm. making sure that other other young people are more understanding of the community. But ultimately, these are complex challenges and they do face them every single day. Um, as previously stated, the guests on An Hour on the Life get to choose all of the songs. Uh, next up, you have Teenager, Teenager of the Year by Lotel. What does this song mean to you? So it's one of my favorite songs from Looking for Alibrandi. And uh, it came out, that movie came out in the middle of when I was in high school. And I liked it because the lead character, Josie, was this Italian scholarship scholarship student at this prestigious Sydney school. And she was trying to find her way and make her way through all of the 
challenges that come with being a teenage girl. And I think that in many ways, I was trying as a teenager to make my ways, sorry, sorry, through being like a gay teenager here in Melbourne. And ultimately, we just wanted to find a space. And this song just really resonated to me because it was Australian and it talked to all of that. Great. Well, here it is. Enjoy. And welcome back to An Hour in the Life with Charlie Bell. Today I'm speaking with Brian Lau. He is an LGBTI equality advocate. So, Brian, are there differences between how straight people date and how same-sex attracted people date? Oh, there certainly is. And I think um, there's a range of environmental reasons, there's future reasons that we think about. I think the two that really come to mind is, um, firstly, it's a question of like safe spaces. I think that historically anyone who's LGBTI identified has always run a risk of um, when they identify themselves through like their actions in your normal general public space, we haven't always been welcome. Mm. And so that's where we get the birth of the, the gay club. Now I know that there are some questions around its relevance um, today, but I think that um, for all intents and purposes, um, the gay club is where you go uninhibited, you can meet someone and you don't fear the retribution that might occur if you've spoken to the wrong person. Whereas I know that within uh, places that don't identify as LGBTI friendly, there is always that distinct risk that comes with that. And we become, or I personally become quite limited in how mm. I engage um, who I'm attracted to. So that's mm. the environmental aspect. And then I guess in like the longer term social aspect, um, I was speaking to a really good friend of mine the other day about um, family planning throughout your 20s. And one of the things that she mentioned was, well, whether you want to family or not, um, it's something that comes into mind because it's a big part of the heterosexual relationship family planning process. Mm. Whereas for a lot of people in the LGBTI community, we family plan, but we certainly don't family plan in the same way as our heterosexual counterparts do. How so? So I think rainbow families are, um, are set up in so many different ways. Um, we have co-parenting, we have IVF, we yeah. have adoption. Um, I think that the idea that two people, you know, who love each other and they come together when they really want to um, express that love and make a baby, while that's a story that resonates with a lot of heterosexual couples, it's one that just doesn't, re uh, it doesn't resonate with LGBTI couples. Mm. Not in, at least, at from like that physical point of view, um, mm. I think there's a lot more work that comes with setting up a rainbow family. Do you mind straight people attending gay clubs or gay bars for the purpose of finding someone of the opposite sex they may be attracted to? There's a question about um, both space and behaviour that, um, that comes into my response. Um, my first thing is that, like, as I mentioned earlier, there are so few spaces that are dedicated to the LGBTI community. And so um, if a gay club is one of them, I think be mindful of the patrons who mm. do own that space. And the way that you do that is by being discreet and making sure that um, you're not taking up all of the space. You're not making out in the middle of the dance floor and shoving everyone around. And if you are going to cross the crowd, whether you are the male or the female, you're not shoving the crowd over just to get to the ideal space. Like This is a space that isn't yours, and so please respect that. Mm. And I think the last part is 
the behavior. You have to be um, prepared to engage respectfully the LGBTI community. Mm. And if you can't do that because you know, you're offended that someone is hitting, with, hitting on you or you're offended because you're not being given, you're not being treated a certain way that you're used to in other clubs, if you don't know how to respond to that in a kind and respectful manner that respects that this is not your space, then you shouldn't be there to begin with. Yeah, yeah. Uh, moving on to another topic. Do you think it's important for people in the LGBTI community to identify their sexual orientation at work? Well, I think this goes back to the question that we had about coming out, which is always being safe. I think you have to make sure that you're in a safe environment and that you have the support of the organization to do so before coming up because I think the repercussions are considerable. Mm. If you come out into a workplace where you know where no one is accepting of you. Mm. So I think consider that like, but ultimately I, I think we've reached a point now in Australia where I'd like to think that all workplaces can have this healthy conversation Mm. and say we don't have time for homophobia well a lot of workplaces are currently encouraging people from non-traditional sexual attraction to come out why do you think they're doing this i think it's important for every organization to encourage people to bring their whole selves to work and bringing your whole self to work is its culture its religion its language and I think organizations benefit from that because when people spend less time worrying about what I have to hide and more time about what I can give to the role as who I am, mm. you produce a lot more and you're a lot more productive. Yeah. And I think you attract a lot of good talent. People are drawn to organizations where they can see themselves. And whether that's gay, whether that's Chinese, whether that's someone with a disability, whether that's someone who's indigenous, if you can see if you can see your community in that organization, I want to be there and I want to take all of the skills that um, I bring along as well. Mm, so the next song you've selected is Bu Liao Ching, a Chinese song. Why have you selected this one? So when I was in my mid-twenties, I went back to Malaysia after not seeing my grandparents for quite a long time. And I had spoken to them in the car about, well, I tried to come out to them essentially. And we had this really long circuitous way in which I tried to test out like how safe those waters were. And it turns out that um, I chickened out and I wanted to tell them about who I am and who I wanted to love, but I just wasn't there and I didn't think that they were there either. Mm -hmm. And so, Once we finished with the conversation, my grandfather turned on the radio and it was this one um, Mandarin song. And the song speaks about, sings about this unforgettable love uh, who the singer can't forget in entirety. It sticks with her for all eternity. And I thought that it was kind of just poetic that um, we couldn't have, my grandparents and I couldn't have a conversation about uh, my love and who I loved authentically, but this song came on. Great. Well, here it is. Bu Liao Ching. Hope everyone enjoys. And that was Bu Liao Ching. 
You are listening to An Hour in the Life on Sin Nation. Today I'm talking with Brian Lau, who is an LGBTI equality advocate. Brian, we do have to get through the songs in this hour. Um, what do we have up next? So, the next song is Born This Way. And it means a lot to me because when the Orlando shootings were taking place a couple of years ago, goodness, um, I was in the Peel nightclub and I was looking at the the, the news flashes coming in and as the information got worse and worse in the gay club we were torn because we didn't know what do we do should we be mourning should we be enjoying ourselves we could have been it could have been any of us in that club and I think the attitude was we would just all dance and we would have fun because no one could ever take that away from us and so when we made that well when I made that decision this song came on here it is, Born This Way by Lady Gaga. It doesn't matter if you love him. Born This Way, hey, And that was Born This Way by Lady Gaga. You're listening to An Hour in the Life with Charlie Bell on Sin Nation. Today I'm talking with Brian Lau, who is an LGBTI equality advocate. Uh, so, Brian, you work in uh, an environmental department within the public service. Can you give a bit of a background of what you did day-to-day in that job? Sure. So I uh, worked in a team called Environmental Reform. So um, the my area of my content area was in contaminated land, and we researched different ways in which we can improve how we uh, approached cleanup of contaminated land. What was it that drew you towards this job? Well, I already had a really good social background. Justice. Um, my time after graduating was spent in. Um, education. So I had worked as a public servant in that space, everything from early childhood, students with um, disabilities, um, higher education, and then um, of course it was my LGBTI advocacy work. So it just felt um, right to explore like a new avenue of um, social justice, which was environmental justice. Hmm. And so do you believe being from a group um, that has been dis- a minority group that's been discriminated against, has that formed your sense of having to do something to enable social and environmental justice? Well, I don't know for everyone else, but that's certainly the case for me. Uh, we are pushing our time limit, and we do want to get through these songs, so we will get on to the next one. Next, you've selected Formation by Beyonce. Why have you picked this one? So, Formation was important because I... During the marriage equality campaign, I think it became quite clear that all of us in the community who believed in yes had to get together. We had to find a common thread. And in this case, it was discrimination. And we had to just come in line, forget our differences, and really fight for a common cause. And I think that Formation does that really well in terms of expressing the... um, Sorry, like the challenges faced by African-Americans as well Mm -hmm. as like black women... Um, and we really, uh, sorry, like the community really latched onto the song. Great. Here it is, Formation by Beyonce. Always stay gracious, best revenge is your paper. And that was Formation by Beyonce. You are listening to An Hour in the Life with Charlie Bell. I'm speaking with Brian Lau. He is an LGBTI equality advocate. 
So, Brian, during the Yes campaign, you were involved with door knocking. What was the purpose of that? It was just about getting out into the community, making sure that we uh, could uh, get all of the people who are supportive of marriage equality to put their votes in. And so mm-hmm. we all carried around these post boxes and asking if you weren't, if you hadn't had a chance to put it in the post box, we're happy to do it for you. Mm, great. And what were the sort of conversations you were having? Well, there were a range of conversations. So, I mean, like on one range, so like on one hand, there were those who were completely um, unsupportive. And then on the other hand, there were those, we, we had experiences where people would see me and my fellow door knockers on the streets and they would honk their, like they would honk their horns at us in support. And there were just a range of different views that we got to hear. Hmm. And how did you approach someone that was a no voter? Respectfully. I think that um, short of lying, people can arc up when it looks like you're getting into their space about something that they really believe in, and that's on both sides. And so you know, whenever we met someone who wasn't supportive, we'd always say, thank you for your time, and that's it. We never mm-hmm. wanted to give someone a reason to say, and these are the many reasons why a yes voter has been disrespectful when visiting us. And one of the ways was to either push them in a way that they felt uncomfortable or to say things or to um, push back on them or to oppose them. We didn't want them to um, have a reason to tell other people to vote no. And did you speak with anyone that was on the fence? Oh, we certainly did. Um, But most of the time it was uh, people who were just naive of the fact that a vote was going on. Hmm. And I think that that speaks volumes about the process uh, that we went through because not everyone was fully engaged at the time. Why do you think there are no voters? I think there are a complex range of uh, reasons for it. People aren't sure what it actually means for their community, what it means for themselves, what it means for their family. Like I won't go into the ins and outs as to what that actually looks like, but I think in many ways um, people are just complex and different. Mm, yeah. Were you worried um, that the outcome wouldn't be majority yes vote? Absolutely. I think um, 10 minutes before the announcement was made, like I was just close to throwing up because I was so nervous about the response. We, The community as a whole, like, as I said, I'd worked for 10 years and people had worked harder and even longer than myself. And we were scared that this was just going to be one step um, not close enough towards the goal. Well, Brian, we're going to have to wrap up really shortly. Um, before we play our last song, um, if there was, if there's someone in the LGBTI community that was experiencing any issues, what would be your advice to them? And are there any groups that they could get in touch with? I'd first say, like, you know, like, listen and, and listen well. Like, we all love you. you. You know, like, you're valued and you're very important to all of us. So never forget that like you you have so much to offer the world and i think um you know there's a range of things that you can do firstly is like find you know your your local source of like lgbti content like i know that there are a range of like online podcasts there are lgbti specialized like radio stations like try to use that space to really connect with what is essentially the gay community and i think then like from there on like look for your local community groups if you're a young person try to step out and just meet other like social groups like there are so many like great networking and like mm. social um realms you could like look up and then lastly like if you feel like you still need a bit more help like switchboard and q life are two really great like call in um resources where you can speak to lgbti um trained ca- oh sorry 
counsellors trained in LGBTI uh, specific issues and they can certainly help you um, find your place um, in the community. Uh, I very quickly looked up the switchboard hotline number, which is one eight hundred one eight four five two seven, and that is a hotline that anyone in uh, if you're in the LGBTI community and want to talk about anything at all, you can call that number. Uh, Brian, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for coming down and talking about your experiences. Pleasure was all mine. Great. So the last song you've selected, "You're the Voice" uh, by John Farnham, an absolute classic. Why have you chosen this one? Well, you know, I think like the lyrics already says enough. So many Australians during that, um, during the plebiscite, we're just like backed into a corner and we fought tooth and nail to actually have a voice. And I think it says so much about like, this, the spirit that was shown during that time was the spirit that was shown, sorry, like that is uh, exemplified in the song. And mm. um, I also love that, you know, once we got that yes vote and everything came to pass, we all really felt that we were quite Australian and I couldn't imagine any other song more Australian than this. Great, fantastic. Well, thank you again, Brian. And uh, here is your other voice.